Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Also, fun fact, I actually have met Ben Wishart a couple of times in London. Very lovely fella, really nice person. So what life aspect did he help you out with? Oh, uh, to be fair, we were smoking and he gave me a light. Paddington <laughs> <laughs> actually did that, I'd be impressed. That would be Just crazy. somebody tried to light, it's like, here you go. Uh, yeah. Mr. Brown doesn't think I have this. <laughs> All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the one. Great Scott. Oh, Here's Johnny. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching even if there are some bumps along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by my friends, Knuckles McGinty, Fibs, Spoons, Jimmy the Snitch, T-Bone, The Professor, Squeaky Pete, Double Bass Bob, Farmer Jack, Mad Dog, Sir Jeffrey Wilcott, Johnny Cashpoint, Charlie Rumble, and Craig McDonald. Hello, lads! <laughs> How are you, Craig? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? It's, it's interesting to be back. Yeah, you brought an entire, like, group of people with you what, what, what have you got yourself into <laughs> right you can go now lads thank you so yep we're back after our summer break craig and uh we've had some space in between to sort of like chill out uh catch up on cinema going um and yeah just enjoy the summer so how how have things been have you enjoyed enjoyed our break yeah i mean it's very much needed i mean i was in croatia for like a week and a half so uh, very much just, I managed to finally get there despite the weird bus issues that I had before uh, with yes. the last episode. <laughs> just to kind of close that story arc for people at home. <laughs> yeah, David was able to throw me in an airport and then just leave me there. I managed to somehow uh, get about 24 bottles of Ribena into the country. Uh, David asked me, do I need to take it through customs? Why? <laughs> Again, it's a bit like marmalade or something like that. Just having like, you know, your essentials with you. Oh, can you imagine if I was just got over there and somebody happened to have a load of black currants and I just become this... Honest, honestly, that entire thing just felt like it was trying to be a Breaking Bad parody without being a Breaking Bad parody. Just you having like a giant hat with like a bottle like perfectly placed inside there. <laughs> but I just, I just inflate like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously we've uh, recently had, there's been quite a few like re-releases recently. There's been a few like summer films that are like the last of uh, all the sort of blockbusters that were coming out. Um, yeah, so it's been good to sort of like have, like I know myself, there was some sort of catch-up days at the cinema where we both got to go. There's also times in which I went to see things I'd never seen before, which are like old movies. Yeah, you went on a massive James Bond sort of spree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I went, started with GoldenEye, and I was just like, I got to see out the Pierce Brosnan era. Ironically, though, didn't finish that because I just didn't have the time to see 
die another day, <laughs> which I think a lot, some people would just be like, oh, you didn't miss anything. But still, it, it would be nice to complete them, seeing them all in the cinema. But Yeah, and we also didn't get a chance to, well, I don't know about you, uh, continue on with the watching of the original Star Trek movies in I, the cinemas. I did see Wrath of Khan, uh, to be fair. I did see that. Um, and my consensus was that, you know, I'm not going to suggest this now, but I think the original Star Trek should be in the movie vault, which I think you'll disagree no, with. No, shut up. <laughs> but Ratha Khan is in there, but I I thought the first film was like fascinating. Uh, so yeah, I if that ever comes I'm up I'm sorry, again, David, you're a meth head for thinking <laughs> this kind of thing. That's like, it's the typical film though that shows that divide with us. It's the kind of like go goes back to years ago when like with Birdman why I thought that should like be Oscar winning material I'm just there looking at the like you know filmmaker side of me and you're just like no that's not good enough <laughs> yeah I think you credit way too much in ambition as opposed to actual execution pretty much <laughs> uh yeah so it's it's been a good summer catch-up and I think hopefully I'm still I'm not sure if there's as many screenings now but there was like screenings of Jaws in like IMAX and 3D and I was kind of like maybe I can see both maybe I can compare them um I know you compared uh subbed and dubbed versions of anime as well oh yeah in a, in a single day I went to see the 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 brand new Dragon Ball Super film both first in the subbed and then in the dub just to I had a free day I wanted to see what the comparisons are like yeah I I, I had a great time well, our usual uh, sort of format would be to sort of tell people about uh, the movie we're talking about today. But again, as we've had this break and we've got like a returning guest from last time, is this kind of like a two-parter? I'll go straight to our guests because uh, we can kind of catch up with them as well. Uh, so uh, let's introduce who's joining us today. So uh, first of all, we've got uh, Jamie Milligan, who is joining us once again. He talked to us all about uh, the first Paddington film and uh, he is here to discuss the second with us. Uh, Jamie, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me back on. Um, no, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Especially when the second Paddington was such an elephant in the room in the first podcast. Exactly, so, uh, yeah. Good to finally be able to talk about it. Yeah, I think uh, that was just like fate, like telling us something. It was just like, you can't talk about this film. And it was like, this film is going to come even more relevant in a few weeks time. It's just like, oh God, what's going to happen? So we'll get on to that. But uh yeah, like I said to Craig and, you know, where we've been talking about, you know, the cinema and what we've been doing over the summer. I know for yourself as well, you've been sort of catching up on a lot of movies, etc. lately. So, uh, yeah, what, what have you been watching? Yeah, well, I, I discovered Letterboxd like earlier this year and kind of now just trying to like keep up with that. So I've, um, I went to cinema the other day to see um, Hit the Road the Iranian uh, kind of comedy drama, which, yeah, it was just everything. It felt a little bit like a Robert Altman kind of just how it's playing with audio and just so many kind of conversations going on at once, which I just really liked. And, um, yeah, and I watched uh, Sanjit Ray's Big City today as well, which was um, really, really good. And then um, Austin Powers' the Spy Who Shagged Me, which, um, you know, again, you know, it's a broad church, but it didn't didn't hold up as well as I thought it did, uh, Spy Who Shagged Me, weirdly. Uh, the first one's definitely the better of the uh, trilogy. But yeah, so uh, quite eclectic. Austin Powers recently to me was kind of like showed how things like physical media and stuff are changing. Like I had emails being like, oh, buy like the, you know, the Austin Powers Blu-ray or something box set. And it was like in this special thing, which like folded out with all flowers and stuff. And it was like in the same like email in which... Uh, the shop was being like, oh, you know, Top Gun Maverick, own it in this special collector's edition, uh, Casablanca in this special thing. It was all like these re-releases. And I was like, 
this is what this is now. This isn't just like, you know, we'll sell you a bunch of DVDs. It was like, oh no, you have to spend like 50 pounds to get this like collector's version of Austin Powers <laughs> in which you get all three films together, etc. It's so weird. I've got no like special collector's things of any DVDs. I've got lots of DVDs, I have a few Criterions, but the best one I've got is uh, Assassination of Jesse James. It's, just, it's like a book with, with info, which is like 15 quid in old money. I don't know, like with the inflation, it's probably a grand now. But um, yeah, it's it's really, really nice. And, you know, my partner laments that I've got so many DVDs, but I do just love just owning it and knowing that it's always there. Yeah, so, some of the collector's ones, they're a bit interesting. I think there's been quite a few examples in the past of where it's like a character's head or something or like this giant like box. And you're just like, how would you keep that somewhere? But yeah, like when it's just something subtle, like a book or something, it's it's a, a very nice addition. Uh, but yeah, right. Well, uh, we'll get uh, onto your thoughts about today's film, Jamie. As as you mentioned there, uh, it's been a long time coming as we it was the film that couldn't be mentioned before. But also joining us for this episode, didn't man, uh, wasn't on our last episode. Uh, we have our resident film brain. It is Stefanos Florakis. Hello, Stefanos. I mean, you could say I've been here so long. I should start getting some money. I mean, some kind of payment. If I've not been paid for this, like hell are you? I did say the other day, I was just like, oh, we need to uh, get you your cinema ticket for the Endgame win. And I was like, but the problem is you signed up to all the memberships of all the cinemas. So I was like, oh, I know, Everyman. And then you saw like really perked up. And I was just like, oh, maybe I need to check the Everyman tickets. How much are these worth actually? So back to that, because it's been so long since then, does it come with interest? So can I be like from a ticket to a membership, maybe? So should I bring a lawyer for this? It's, it's like JV said, it's just like what was originally a six pound cinema ticket is now worth like a thousand pound or something. Like that's how much has changed. I, I didn't say anything. You, I didn't you, say anything. You, you said it on the records. <laughs> Good luck forcing it, forcing us to anything legally on that. <laughs> So, uh, Stefanos, uh, it's been a bit longer since uh, you last joined us. I believe it was Akira when we were uh, last uh, talking to you. Um, but obviously still, summer is a big time for the movies. And uh, I know you're always one to sort of catch the latest releases, but also like TV series, etc. So what has stood out for you the past few weeks? Uh, in all honesty, this summer, it seems it went too fast, but also seemed very long. I don't know if that's something due to the pandemic. Probably the pandemic has given me this sort of like idea that time is very fluent, but also eternal. And yeah, and I did watch several things, not a lot, mainly because of work. Uh, also, finally, after two years of a pandemic, I actually got COVID in July. And oh, damn. Yeah, I know. It's so unlucky. After all these years of being very careful, I got it while visiting my parents in Greece. So my holiday sort of became just me isolating over actually doing anything. Uh, with that said, I am very happy for a lot of shows that I managed to watch. And I did not expect Top, Top Gun Maverick to be the film it is right now, the kind of phenomenon it has become. I, uh, and I've seen it three times now, and I'd never expected to watch that film so many times. Um, also, I do highly recommend it if there is somewhere on 4DX. Definitely recommend it, Maverick, on that. That was my first ever time going to one of those things. 
and it was an experience. It was beautiful. The only problem is our cinema here that has 40X, uh, when it comes to the sense of smell, they have run out out of all the smells, all the kind of different flavors, and the only one they had was barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) And for some reason, they really amped up the smell of barbecue when it came to the the beach scene, where all the big lads, half-naked, fighting each other, the queer side of mine really loved it. Uh, the critic side of mine was like, I am very confused by this. <laughs> this is like, they go for like the, the Aussie vibes. They're like, oh yeah, you know, it's like a, I'm going to barbecue on the beach and all this kind of stuff. They're like, it, it must be happening. It must be there. There must be a barbecue somewhere. I mean, I was, I was more going to say, if there's any, if there's anything I'm going to feel about watching a bunch of, of half naked men running around on the beach and then smelling potentially good uh, good flavored food in barbecue i am gonna feel confused so i think that's a very good i think that's a very good mood yeah and uh but anyway but i'm really surprised by the film and, and a lot a lot of shows actually it was far more far more shows than actual films uh but then i've been trying to catch up with everything that i've missed and and yeah and, and right now i'm, I'm watching a lot of the shows right now, like the House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, and I'm really enjoying this current era of being a nerd. Uh, I never expected to have that. And of course, I'm watching Sandman on repeat because uh, I never was expected to actually have that show uh, in my lifetime. So yeah, I'm having a good time, to be honest, as a nerd. So, as we alluded to right at the top, Craig, we talk about movies well worth watching, despite bumps along the way. So, uh, just to tease the audience at home, uh, do you think today's movie is a bump or well worth watching? So, I went into this film with one goal in mind, one singular goal based on everything I've been told, which is, Craig, don't cry. I failed. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see if uh, the tears were rolling for everyone else as well. But for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode, Craig, or maybe even the episode before that as well, uh, can you just recap us on what we're watching and what led us to our film today? So we wanted to make sure that we bridge the gap between the two halves uh, of the year with our summer holiday. So going into last episode, we were asked for a film and its sequel. So the film that we were given... Um, for last episode was Paddington, which means obviously, and we can finally freely talk about it because we didn't want to make this episode irrelevant, not because of any weird controversies, because we've been referring to this film as the elephant in the room, and it's just not be- not because of anything like that. We just wanted to make sure we actually had things to talk about for this episode, but we're having the cult hit that has now been created. The film, notorious for having a perfect score on Rotten Tomatoes for a, I don't know if it's still the case, but it certainly was for, for a long time, Paddington 2. Mr. Gruber. Oh, what's this? Ah, this is London. It's wonderful. Aunt Lucy always dreamed of coming to London. If she saw this, it would be like she were finally here. Aunt Lucy! Oh, Paddington. This is perfect. I've had a brilliant idea. I'm going to get a job and buy that book for Aunt Lucy's birthday. Hello, window cleaner. Ow. (laughs) 
quite sure you're ready for the workplace, Paddington. It's Phoenix Buchanan. Dad's celebrity uh, client. I suppose you know who I am. Oh, yes. You're a very famous actor. VIP, celebrity. <laughs> or used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. <laughs> yes, so uh, we look forward to discussing Paddington 2 today and uh, undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time. So, yeah, let's go straight into that discussion and um, chat all about this very famous film, which, like Craig said there, um, has become notorious for uh, just how great the reviews have been and just people genuinely loving it, talking about it, uh, mentioning the performances, even being brought up in a Nicolas Cage film uh, earlier this year. So, uh, yeah, Panton 2 was released in 2017. Uh, the synopsis you get for this is Paddington, now happily settled with the Brown family and a popular member of the local community, picks up a series of odd jobs to buy the perfect present for his Aunt Lucy's 100th birthday, only for the gift to be stolen. So uh, we're looking then at the cast. Uh, you got a lot of the returning players from last time. Uh, at the beginning, you got the voices of Michael Gambon and Imelda Staunton as Aunt Lucy. Then you've got Ben Whishaw as Paddington. Uh, you've also got Sally Hawkins as Mary Brown, Hugh Bonneville as Henry Brown. We got Julie Walters as Mrs. Bird. Uh, then there's a whole slew of like British actors that you get in terms of like his neighbours, etc. And of course, uh, you've got Hugh Grant as Phoenix Buchanan, <laughs> uh, the villain of uh, this film, which uh, a lot of people love uh, and makes this film stand out to them as well. Uh, actually talking to an actress the other day who said that like that is like one of their goals is like to have that kind of role or that kind of performance uh, in the future. So uh, yeah, this film was once again directed by Paul King, which we discussed last time. And uh, in terms of writing credits, uh, it was written by Paul King along with Simon Farnaby and then obviously credits to the original uh, creator of Paddington Bay, which was Michael Bond. Um, and then they got like additional uh, credits to people who helped add to the film. So I'll uh, go first of all to, you know, last time the elephant in the room was Paddington 2. Now we are Paddington 2 out of the way. We kind of have to bring up the fact that this film, uh, this episode is coming just after a very big loss uh, within the UK. Um, whether you're a royalist or not, you know, we're not here to discuss that really. But obviously we'll say that, you know, it's a, it's a big historic loss just for, you know, somebody who lived a very long and impressive life with Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, yeah, weirdly timed that Paddington has become such a big part of media at the moment because she was in a sketch with Paddington as I think we uh, mentioned last time and then because of that Paddington has become this big uh, part of uh, you know flower laying and like seeing toys outside Buckingham Palace I don't know if anyone else saw that video of BBC News in which a man revealed that Paddington wasn't there I, I don't know did you guys know this that apparently the Queen had to act opposite nothing which i can't uh, was mind-blowing to me um so thanks for that bbc for the the, imp the important news there i'm more enjoying the weird associations that people have created of paddington being the grim reaper yeah definitely. i don't understand why that's the 
that's the goal you've gone for there? <laughs> yeah, and just a lot of people confused as to like, is he dead now? Is he like, you know, he's holding her hand, taking her to like heaven? What's going on? So um, you guys, Steph, Jamie, if you had like any sort of weird occurrences with seeing this whole explosion with, uh, you know, not only, I guess, like people talking about the Queen again through like her film appearances, but also like seeing Paddington talked about. Um, again, Jamie, what, what was what was your reaction? Well, I think, well, there's been the guy who's had it tattooed on his leg, that uh, that picture. I just, you know, like my, I think the biggest thought really for all of this is just the Facebook mums who have all been getting RSIs from just reposting everything about the Queen. So I think they're the real sufferers during this. But no, it's it, there's, there is a sweetness to it that people... You know, want to take marmalade sandwiches and lay it down and you know it's probably a little bit misplaced there are plenty of food banks that need food rather than just being wasted for vermin on the ground but again like we can't go too much into it but yeah it's it's an odd it's an odd time but you know it is nice that we have kind of a mascot for this country and it seems to be a, an immigrant character which is great and when we're talking, you know, last time we were talking about like that British charm and everything like that, again, this seems to come out as well, you know, like the the Paddington element of, you know, the charm of the story and stuff seems to like come back up again. And then this seems to be obviously, again, very serious subject, but, you know, this whole discussion of like, you know, what is British? Is, it, is this a good thing? Do we want to see like all this kind of like, oh, you know, look at this, look at London, all this focus on on that which i guess then can sometimes change your view of like characters or films in terms of being like oh well is that actually like aiding in that but thankfully like when i did my rewatch i was just like you know no this is going for you know a different kind of approach even though it does celebrate places like uh london you know it's not the kind of being stereotypical in you know typical views of like you know you know the royal family or you know like fish and chips or anything like that stefanos uh what about yourself i know in the past you know again without going into serious topics but you know you discussed when you know you came from greece etc there was a big you know element of like the the view of you know what britain was like etc you know and that might have been painted through things like paddington or harry potter etc you know do you kind of have any different opinions to, to paddington like i said before i came here i had a very sort of glam, not glamorous, but definitely like sort of celebratory view of UK culture and all of that. And as you mentioned, you know, stuff like Harry Potter, Bond or stuff like that were always a sort of like direct image to what, not necessarily British culture, but what British British life or what is working in the UK could provide you. Because I was far more looking as a filmmaker, as a film critic, and as a film buff to what it is possible. Um, and but then obviously when I came here, things kind of changed because obviously it's the reality of the things. Yeah, because living here, you have to work and you're doing all the things that all the working adults are doing here in the UK, uh, or hopefully are able to do. Uh, Paddington, though, was always one of those things that I was never familiar before I came here. Even when I actually did come to the country, I wasn't like immediately thrown into that world because I wasn't familiar with the books. I knew the dolls. I knew all the all, all the toys, mainly because it was a very distinctive look. Because for me, it looked as a teddy bear with 
a hat and a jacket. It, and just that itself, I could tell that it was why it seemed so cute or something so prominent for children. Uh, but then the first film came out and similarly to the sequel also had like a lot of critical acclaim and all of that. So then I watched the film and I was started getting it. I was like, okay, I get why people love this character. Afterwards, I watched uh, all the shorts uh, and not read the books, but I had like a quick skim through it. Um, and then 2017, at the time I was working in a cinema and it was the first day that it came out. I had a very long shift and I, and I, and I knew that I wanted to watch something is it going? Something breezy. And I did hear very good things about it. And I was expecting to have a good time. <laughs> so I went to the latest uh, showing, mainly because I finished around 9 p.m. Um, again, I don't know why they had a late show, Paddington 2, at uh, 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 20 to, to 10. Like, I have no clue why. I went there. I was the only one in the whole theater so I was kind of, because I love, because then I'm able to like shout and live commentary everything without disturbing anyone. And just like with Craig, I did not expect to end up crying like an actual little child to the extent. All right, steady on with that depiction of how I was crying. <laughs> No, I, but it was like, it was very similar to what I, what Pixar used to be. The the very deep emotional investments and that, and the fake out in the end still has me. I literally thought, I'm not going to spoil anything just in case someone hasn't seen it yet, but the point that there is a point which you think someone would, well, not we'll be around We'll get to it probably anymore. later. I suppose we could talk spoilers later, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But once that happens, I literally thought they were actually going to do it. Even knowing this was a family film, I believed it. And that, is, that alone, it deserves all the praise. As someone who is usually very, not cynical, but I am someone who sort of predicts everything they're going to see, especially in family films, I did not expect myself to be that broken in that moment. Uh, nothing's changed, it got better, but yeah, I didn't, still didn't expect it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think a lot of people just remember their experiences watching this film and that's what makes it, you know, such a memorable one. And I guess it comes down to a lot with people's expectations. Uh, Jamie, so we discussed the first film uh, last time. We also discussed uh, Paul King. Did you have any particular thoughts going into this film? Do you have like a certain, do you remember the first experience of watching it, uh, you know, compared to, to the first film? Was there, was there anything majorly different in how you sort of approached this one? I did a run up. First, I thought I'll just get ready for it. Um, no, I took my mum to see it actually. Went in, went I think for like a morning showing, which is always just a really nice time to go. And uh, yeah, it's just I think it does what a sequel should do. It takes what works and just kind of goes up a notch. And you know, there are bits of me that kind of prefer the first one over the second one a little bit because you know structure wise is exactly the same you've got all the same kind of beats but it is just so good and just so kind of just watching especially Hugh Grant who I'm sure we'll just talk about for an entire hour on in this film and I'm a huge Hugh Grant fan anyway 
a huge hue if that works um and you know just to see him just have the time of his life and you know when an actor's enjoying the role and not just doing it for a paycheck um so yeah no i i kind of went in with high hopes and came out with equally high hopes from it or you know my hopes were exceeded yeah because it kind of brought about like a resurgence for hugh grant in a way i might Steph, you might be able to help me with this. Am I right in thinking he's like in some big blockbuster or something soon? And I was just like, oh, good for him that he made it into this, et cetera. Like the, uh, you see him a lot more in, you know, film and television now. And they seem to be, you know, approaching him kind of like almost like Christopher Walken or someone like that, in which they're like, oh, he's fun. He's cool. And like he sort of stands out within his role because he's always there as a kind of like elder character or like, you know, crazy Jeff Goldblum type, you know, character. No, like there was the interesting thing that 2010s for Hugh Grant is basically sort of is his own renaissance, but it's mainly because he started choosing roles that kind of broke the mold of basically his whole career. Because he, he has been saying multiple times that he sort of got tired of being compared to all the rom the rom coms tropes and the rom com roles. And that, and I think what I would say in the in the specific film that's kind of started changing was with uh, Cloud Atlas because in that one, bizarre film like completely, but but he plays a sort of like smaller, multiple roles, but the, all of them are the villain, which that kind of started the whole sort of renaissance of his. And especially the fact that one of those roles was literally a futuristic cannibal that kills people and eats the flesh. So I'd say that is a big jump from love, actually. Uh, and that since then, he has been trying to go something a bit more daring, something a bit more, even with some levels per personal for him or challenging even. Um, and and Paddington 2 was literally of that middle of, his, of that renaissance. And... Uh, and then from now on, he just skyrocketed. Then he started doing some very daring stuff, uh, like his uh, limited series on uh, HBO with Pokemon. Um, for some reason, I, the title is escaping to me. But uh, he's, the, the Undoing? Was it the Undoing? The Undoing, yes, which he is absolutely phenomenal. I'm not a big fan of the, of the limited series in general, but I was a huge fan of his performance. And yeah, now he's doing. Uh, the uh, uh, what was it? Dungeon and Dragons uh, adaptation, which again, yeah, which I don't think I don't expect much from the film, but uh, I am very looking forward to see him because I because so far he seems he had a great time doing this film. But it was almost again with like what you were saying. It was the um, very English scandal as well, where he was Jeremy Thorpe with Ben Whishaw, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah, so he said, you know, there was a, you know, one day he was trying to kill Paddington and the next day he was trying to F Paddington. So he's got such a good wit to it. But um, yeah, like you say, it's a real like reconnaissance for the Hugh, the Hugh Grant. I don't know if there's a term for it yet. Yeah, I think that definitely is the case. Yeah, I think Dungeons and Dragons is potentially what I was thinking of. That when I saw him there, I kind of reminded me of that sort of like Jeff Goldblum esque nature of just like, oh, you know, he's a sort of like crazy character. And yeah, I think for the past few years, he has had those kind of like strong roles. You know, he was in things like Foster, Florence Jenkins, and 
um he was in pirates he did the voice in that so he was kind of embracing more like he's always been about in some ways but you know they weren't like you said steph they weren't just typical rom-coms and you know like uh the sort of like the same you know playing the same role uh every time you yeah because for ages he just had the association of just being the british bumbling romantic and i definitely think with this film you prove to all audiences he's not just that he can do a range of other things i mean I think it's best placed by literally have him doing what having a character that has what 22 characters themselves and then just every now and then just does different character voices. Yeah, I think that yeah, that was it just shows off the range and just like how versatile he can be, I guess. A lot of people have said that they were like, "Oh, this is the first time I realized, you know, that he was like a, a competent actor, etc." or they realized how fun or funny he could be as well. It's what it's literally what a previous guest of ours, uh, Liv Mackinder said to me uh when I said about this episode, she went, "Ah, the one where he he himself discovered he can act." That, that's definitely one of, you know, the big parts of this film, I think, obviously, you know, the charm as well. Like you said, Jamie, just the fact that it does what a sequel you know should do in terms of like taking the strengths of the previous film and i guess giving people what they kind of expect in in a good way i think there's very much a comfort in that way of something like a toy story or pixar like we mentioned before um that it gives you the typical tropes i think like you jamie i think i'm I'm unsure as to whether i do prefer from the first one because i think that as we were mentioning at the beginning sometimes i just have to credit something when it's just then a bit more ambitious or it's introducing something because to me that's what's all like started it off with if it kind of like does it again i'm like well you're just doing the same thing i didn't feel that here there was quite the sort of same creative risks but there was still the strong sequences and moments and visual moments but they were kind of just like the same as in the second film not to like say that they're any worse or anything like that i just didn't feel that this had quite the, I don't think it had the edge to it that the first film had in terms of like, I was saying with the first one, it had like a sort of sketch comedy-esque nature to it. And the comedy was a bit more random. I think here is a lot more like of the antics and the the fun lines and the, the characters. Anything else that stands out to anybody in terms of the story of this one? Again, I kind of think it plays it safe, but in a good way. I think that the strength of this is that it very much presents itself as kind of the first film has to introduce you to the character of Paddington, which I think is what works there and like you know you're discovering who the characters are they're going through a bit more of a character arc here i think the family take a bit more of a back seat but what it does accomplish is there has the great element of a storybook is that the fact that it can just be like it's a film about Paddington getting a present for his auntie and at first you kind of look at it and go oh is it just that you expect it to become more and it doesn't really and that's what's really lovely about the film is the way it bookends itself and really does make it a sort of very traditional Paddington story. I think halfway through it, you might think like, oh, would this have become a book? You know, Paddington behind bars kind of thing. But it's the fact that they didn't go into those easy tropes. They didn't call it as something like the Muppets did. It wasn't Paddington most wanted or anything like that. So I think that their restraint there, you know, is really commendable. Um, And yeah, it's just, I just love the fact that it sort of bookended itself. And it's just this really nice, simple story uh, which just has a lot of like fun and you know antics in between uh you know jamie what, what what do you think of it in that way you said also you don't know whether you prefer the first one but you know do you think the strengths of this one lie in its story or more like you were saying before maybe just the themes and, and the strengths of the the technical aspects etc uh, i think the strengths really come through the characters like bringing in um, brendan gleason is uh knuckles 
Like, again, you know, it's Brendan Gleeson coming from like his kind of in Bruges kind of vibe as well. You know, just getting comedy, that kind of deadpan. And, the, you know, with it. And again, there's so many like uh, pastiches in this film as well. Like when he eats the marmalade sandwich, you can just see like where he's finding his inspirations. And there's maybe a little bit more kind of style to the second film that the first one doesn't. Like you were saying, David, about it being kind of a lot more random in its comedy. This time it's very kind of constructive. The barbershop scene where he's cutting the hair and, you know, he's a Tory's dream, you know. Liz Trust wants everyone doing a side hustle. So just watching him at the beginning doing that. Um, so, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think it's the characters that make it stand out. And I think that's why every, if Hugh Grant wasn't in this, I don't think people would talk about it as much if it was just another Nicole Kidman-esque character, which it could have been. But um, luckily it wasn't. So rejoice that they uh, went for that casting. Um yeah, I think I think it is the characters that just kind of, and again, like you said, they they did establish so much already, so we could just hit the ground running, which works so well. I think they also do a lot with the community that I think really wins me around in this film, because mm. it's not just the fact that they have a lot of uh, British stars that a lot of people recognise and get invested in. So, for example, I'm a big Ben Miller fan. I'm a big Jessica Hines fan. Fan. We we forgive Pudsy the dog the movie. Mm. Um, but just seeing them at the beginning and also just seeing that throughout the film, they've technically, you know, come as a uh, become a couple because of the antics of Paddington. It's that's what I enjoyed about the first film. And I've I've talked about how he's the sort of character that just doesn't change himself, but changes everyone around him. I, I just like the way that they actually show how he's had an effect on the community. Just a in like the small antics he does B even just in the interactions he has at the beginning of the film is just clearly these are things that he he's been doing for a long time stopping that one guy from getting locked out of his house helping the the bin guy um revise for his exams uh and then just seeing how that all sort of like falls apart as he's gone and then and for me that's where like the emotional heart of the film really hits is that at the end sorry to go straight to that uh it's I, I predicted they were going to bring Aunt Lucy over to London, so I'm glad they fo- uh, followed through with that. But it was how they did it insofar as the entire community banded together and would, and just there. That's what kind of got me welling up and crying a bit, just seeing all those faces. I'm a sucker for somebody thinking they were alone in something and then just seeing a group of people, no, no, we've got your back. And I thought it was a very natural, very well uh, well done thing that they did. So the fact that I also remember a lot of those side characters and of and we get favourites from the first film. We get Keith, uh, Peter Capaldi's character back. Uh, Mr. Curry. Curry, that's it. I knew it was a food. I couldn't remember which one. Uh, and you also had um, you had Jim Broadbent back again um, in a really natural role. Also, that book scene where Paddington discovers the book and just imagines his life. I thought that... You want to talk about technical creativity. I thought that was a really good thing for them to have done. And just the way in which all of the, the paper pop-up looks and then interactive variety. I thought that was a stunning scene. That really drew me in. That was when I just thought, on a technical level, I thought I was going to appreciate this film a lot more. Because in the first film, I you know I appreciated little flashes that they did, such as like the the, the band throughout London, which mm. come back in hilarious fashion. The fact that you hear their music playing in prison, you go, wait are they in prison? Yeah. And then they were in prison. <laughs> um, but they just did that. And then just, I think they actually did push the boat out a little bit more. So I think that they mastered, uh, I, I probably agree insofar as the comedy. I don't think, I, I don't think it's as random. I, I'm perfectly fine with that because 
I think on the character and emotional level, I think they just, I, that's where I think they go up a step for me personally, especially considering as well that the, the villain isn't some weird random BS who's just drawn in from the past of Paddington. It's somebody with like natural motivations, which uh, the, like happened throughout the story and they just so coincide with what Paddington's after. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Jamie was right earlier. If we wanted to talk about Hugh Grant for an hour, we easily could. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, that's where I would be on the same page of being like, well, you know, I could go between each one where like, there's the elements I like about Panton one. But as you said there, I think then there is the elements like the characters, the community, how that kind of all wraps up. I love, you know, that scene, which you get later on. And especially because so many films, especially sequels have to have that very forced thing, which kind of bugs me. Uh, which was kind of in the Star Trek films recently, and they even do it up to the newest ones of being like, well, what, what's uh, bugging the lead character this time? Oh, you know, like, uh, Kirk isn't getting old. He needs some glasses, and, you know, oh, and let's give him a son. And, you know, like, it's very much like when they feel like, oh, well, what can the character arc for this be? And you just feel it's very, like, shoehorned in. It's very heavy-handed. And I kind of like here that, you know, Paddington almost doesn't need that it's again like about how everyone reacts to Paddington so it kind of is refreshing in that sense that it's not a typical character arc um you know I think he still goes on a journey obviously of kind of like seeing the grim reality of like when he thinks people have abandoned him and you know like having the pressures of you know wanting to please his aunt etc but you know it's a lovely message to have the like no these people have got that you know your back and you know they will remember you which i think was nice because i think with the prisoners scene again not to go to too much spoilers but later on i was like oh please don't just turn into like you know straight up villains to be like oh no you know we were uh always gonna betray you all along i think it's nice that again to really emphasize that message that he needed to change them in some ways and sort of like make them come around to to the way that he acts as well so it was a good balance to be honest the fact that he didn't instantly turn them all the way no and and yeah that stood out to me as well i think the last film you had moments like the tree and the house and stuff but this one that pop-up scene that was probably the the best one i thought and it it, that echoes back to the the books and stuff it really is in that style i think it looks beautiful uh stefanos any kind of like standout moments for you any other performances apart from hugh grant um so i think so i won't like repeat myself out of all of you guys, because more or less I kind of agree with everything. I think the main reason why the film is a standout or why it's so celebrated, uh, at least from my perspective and especially for me, is two categories. One is in film and the other one is outside of the film. In film, like you all guys said, they're really committed to everything. And I do say the fact that it is a simple premise, but they've really emphasized on that and around it, and they committed to everything. And that is something I really appreciate when a film, a sequel, especially when a sequel does it, where they commit to a certain idea and a certain technique, uh, the production value itself. And the same thing, it's not even that expensive, but they make it look extremely expensive because of the creative level. They're going for everything. Uh, like I said, for the for the pop-up book, uh, everything in the prison, it looks like a Wes Anderson film. Like all of that stuff, it's just escalating, escalating but in a more creative manner. And like Jamie said, and now using that creativity to expand on each character. All that is great. Um, now, I think another factor of why it's such 
an emotionally engaging film and things because of what was happening at that time in real world, because it was 2017, it was the year after Brexit, things were being extremely divided. And then we got this film about this little, uh, little immigrant bear coming to a community filled with people of so many different cultures and communities and not showing the bad side, actually showing whenever they are mean or anything like that, it's always about circumstances. And it's not because they are inherently evil. Even Phoenix Buchanan, even he finds himself in the end where he gets his punishment and finds a sort of new light. And all that stuff, and especially like... Greg said about the ending for whole community coming together to help this one individual in need. It just it brought a lot of stuff that I needed, and I do believe a lot of people needed at the time, and be and we still need right now. And and it is is something so admirable that a film could do that because. We, we, let's be honest, film is not always that important. And I, I am saying that, and I live and die for films. But now that there is this one singular work that means a lot more to what it was intended or even where they were aiming for it. And I think that is a factor in it. And well, one, and one I would say, Steph, it you know, stands out in terms of like the relevancy to when it was made or even when you watch it now is you know especially to now and i think that when i was rewatching it i was kind of like oh i'm not sure if i would sort of buy into this whole like they think paddington did it kind of thing like you know they just see him like run out of the shop etc and like you know instantly you go to prison and i was like oh hang on let's think about what's happened recently in london is it that surprising that a british police officer just saw somebody maybe like uh, made a judgment based on their looks and wrongly accused uh, that person of doing something and it went way too far in terms of placing judgment or the law and even in the case of the uh, punishment, even like personal prejudice came into like how that person was punished. I was watching it being like, this is 100% accurate of the policing system that we currently have and being commentated on in just the world. the fact that even, even the... Uh, the person whose shop was being burgled was just like, I don't think it was Paddington. <laughs> Presumably, if he's being charged, he could just be like, you... I Wait, you're gonna press charges? I don't want to press charges. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, like there's stuff like that, which and I, and I do like the fact that in the end it does kind of gives a hopeful note, the fact that things will be better. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I think that is a factor. And also, um, we, I do want to give all the credit to uh, I me. Mean, yes, I could speak about Hugh Grant for hours, maybe days, maybe the whole year <laughs> in this film. But I, I do also want to give like huge props to Ben Whistle because the fact that he's a digital character, but he, oh, he's been mainly doing voice work in this. And... And the fact that I believe there was a bear and sounds like that, and I was invested with him, it gives a huge props. Also, fun fact, I actually have met Ben Wishart a couple of times in London. Very lovely fella, really nice person. And uh, for this very few interactions I had 
with him. I, I can I can say I, I can see why they casted him for Paddington because there is a sort of sincerity in him, and I can definitely see that within multiple of his performances. So, what life aspect did he help you out with? Oh, uh, to be fair, we were smoking, and he gave me a light. Paddington <laughs> <laughs> actually did that. I'd be impressed. That would be just somebody crazy. tried to light. It's like. Here you go. <laughs> Mr. Brown doesn't think I have this. <laughs> that is right to sort of bring him up as well, though, because when you're talking about Hugh Grant and Sally Hawkins, etc., I think, you know, you don't want to miss out on the main, you know, cast member himself. Because obviously, I think last time, obviously, there was the discussion of uh, who would have potentially originally played him, etc. And I think here that, you know, he's able to really embrace and become the character even more as well and i think even again by talking about recent events i think the fact that the the sketch with the queen and like when i think panton has his own twitter which a lot of people follow and i think it goes to show how special the character is in, in that people will get comfort from that and i think just the simplicity of his tweet just saying like you know it was a privilege mom or like you know something like that when you know her passing was announced i think the people kind of really take comfort in that in that they can look at that and go like oh it'll be okay like Paddington said it'll be all right and you know he's showing his respect and I think a lot of that comes from you know Ben Whishaw's performance because it's ultimately his Paddington his voice that's there with the queen in that sketch and it's his kind of appearance of the character his voice which you kind of imagine on Twitter etc uh is it the same for you Jamie I know you previously we talked about like the person who uh, photoshops Paddington into different movies etc but do you always imagine the Ben Whishaw voice when you see him online etc with those tweets I think I think it's just synonymous now it is like uh Steph was saying it. it's it's perfect casting to think that it would have been uh Colin Firth originally like a much older kind of voice but there's just such an innocence and uh naivety to his um to how he plays it it's just yeah it's just perfect and yeah, you just couldn't imagine another voice doing it. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the strength of voice acting, isn't it? Because this is could be the difference between playing a quite annoying character and then someone endearing. And I mean, to, I've I've seen a good example would be Fighting Nemo because I have seen no no one, not two, not three, but four different ver uh, language versions of it, and the character of Dory. In each version, it's, it's very different to how I feel towards her. <laughs> like, Elegy the Generous is brilliant in English. In in Greek, it's okay. I, don't, I can't say it's not good. Korean gets kind of frustrating. The French is impossible. And I, <laughs> and I don't think it's because it sounds like my French auntie, which I don't particularly like. Hi, auntie. <laughs> but, yeah, but I do believe it voice acting again it should be giving more credits to every voice actor because they can literally create a character just like ben wish or did or it could literally ruin them forever like i i can't think of anyone right now but definitely if, if someone if we just bring that up another day we could find multiple different uh voice actors which for better or for worse then we're not good for it I just can't imagine a world where if we did have Colin Firth as Paddington getting to this film with the villain is Hugh Grant, we have another situation of Colin Firth versus Hugh Grant just somewhere in the world like Rene Zellberg is like, why was I not in this <laughs> film? <laughs> Hello? I think 
what I was thinking during this as well was how I'm not sure if things would change then with like a third patent film. I think that you've seen a lot of innovations in the way that we've used like practical characters and how you sort of blend in CG characters. I think of something like his dark materials on the BBC. I know that they use like puppetry there and then kind of like CG over it. And I was thinking that parts of this film, you know, obviously, which is then 2017. So it's a bit um, older, but there was parts of me which were looking at it thinking like, is this your great acting? Did you, you know, were you only working with a tennis ball? And I think obviously things like Star Wars has really taught us with Grogu, you know, something like that can come across and become really endearing with, a, you know, a, a puppet, etc. But I don't know if Pantom would work obviously as a puppet, but I'm wondering in the future, will there be kind of more of a realism to him if they will sort of progress it from like CG to something else because of the success of things like Grogu? Um, again, that's what, you know, I mentioned Muppets Most Wanted earlier, but there is something about that. I don't know whether they're both because they're about sequels, about, you know, nostalgic characters that end up getting imprisoned, etc., and wrongly imprisoned. But it did remind me of that film. But again, the Muppets are, are similar in which, like, you see physical puppets there and it kind of brings through those memories and yeah but that's how it's always been right i think if you if you were to literally make a film with cgi muppets i think everyone'd be an outcry because they'll fundamentally move in different ways than you're accustomed to in the same way that no matter how good your animatronics is i would be hard pressed for you to ever create animatronics that is able to move Mm. like paddington currently does because it's all because it's all about like the mouth especially i think that would just cross a line for a lot of people of just being uncomfortable we would literally be walking down the uncanny valley yeah there's definitely elements here which you couldn't do and the cg comes through in terms of like when he's like vibrating with the the clippers i think that's what's like some of the fun stuff with the antics i think just even the naivety and just the charm of the whole washing the prisoners outfits into pink you know i think that just that's just such a endearing moment there's times in which he does things in which you're like oh would you do that is that a bit over the top the barber scene kind of reminded me very much of mr bean in a way as well and i think that comes into the kind of like english british charm of it funny you say that i literally watched that that exact episode of mr bean about a week ago because of the film no as in coincidentally i watched it okay because i didn't know anything about paddington 2 until Like this morning, I watched the film for the first time ever this morning. That is a weird coincidence to have seen that episode. But yeah, uh, I think that, yeah, there's just such a like charm to him when you like when you just cut to them all dressed in pink and they're annoyed. And I'm really glad again that the, you know, the script always kind of restrains itself and doesn't go into typical tropes that I think that they could have easily been like a very like kind of stereotypical or kind of homophobic slur in the past of being like yeah now we all you know like he says like flamingos which is good but i think in the past if this was like made in the 90s there could have easily been like a slur or something thrown there but um even the fact that they then embrace that you were saying steph about like the practical elements of this film the design i think that it, it is like a gorgeous film in many elements i was thinking with uh Buchanan's kind of house I was looking at that thinking oh some like set decorator had real fun like making this place not even just his attic I think like his living room and stuff is fascinating the colors that they use you know the greens etc all the characters houses all the neighbors I cried with laughter because they used one of Hugh Grant's actual headshots in in the collection of photos he had I saw it and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) what a self-burn on that actor (laughs) But the prison scene, I guess you all also have like the kind of 
transforming of the prison when you see all like the flowers and stuff like start to appear and how people change all of that is fantastic i think it's really great and like they use again the technical aspect and paul king's kind of strengths come through there i think in terms of how showing how it works the only thing i'm gutted about and this might be out there somewhere but i think this was a mistake i wish they didn't put the hugh grant scene you know again it's spoilers kind of here but we've passed that point i think now the end credit thing i was like i wish this was on the screen i wish it wasn't minimized i was like i want to see this in its full glory i think other films would have just gone to it or just had like a bit of the credits and then flipped to it i was like i don't want to watch this on a tiny little screen in the credits it was like there was so much lights and dazzle and like you know such impressive set work done there i was like oh come on put this on the full screen (laughs) that's why you watch family in the cinema because they didn't have that problem at all (laughs) true true I'm also conflicted because I also think for me part part of the joke that works so well with that is because it's in the it's in the small scene you think okay it's going to be him suffering in prison so the fact that he then gets an entire musical number that you're just not expecting because of that aspect ratio I was like okay yeah this actually really works and I will say the costume designer that made his prison overalls with the little uh, with the little collar as well to look razzle dazzle I want their number. <laughs> I, I really liked as well his, you know, the the fact they used his costumes to flip between different characters. And I like that this, you know, they were using traditional characters, you know, Poirot, etc., Hamlet. I like that one of them seemed to be Mr. Toad, potentially, from Wind in the Willows. I looked at that, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Mr. Toad. I'm like, is he going to, like, start talking like him at some point? But it's possible. Jamie, is there any other sort of standouts for you in terms of sequences or other performances? Anything else we haven't mentioned that you saw really love? The entourage in the prison, like all these kind of, I think, um, oh, who's the really tall guy from, who's tall, massive, he plays, is it Gary King he plays, his, his sitcom, he does that murder and success feel. The one, oh, like, when they're it? leaving and he's watching through the bars, like, who's, like, about cooking yeah, and stuff I in the film. Yeah, that whole, like, onto that rogues gallery of just British comedy actors, it just kind of plays and i think that's the beauty of it you know like in the first film you have matt king in there and i really hope in the third film they'll have a little bit of um colin firth i feel they have to i feel he has to have a part in it um but i mean the train sequence as well works really well and that kind of joke about um the lads playing with his train sets and everything and feeling too cool and yeah and then it suddenly becomes relevant and again like it's all those little character moments just coming to fruition and making sense it reminds me i'm a big jack tatty fan and it's like you know those kind of just pulling all the strings together and orchestrating it it just works like to a t yeah that that entire cast of prisoners is fantastic and as i mentioned at the beginning you know it very much is just it's similar to what we were talking about with italian job earlier in the years you know they all have their roles and their nicknames uh you know so the fact that that was just that was one of my favorite jokes definitely in in the film is just the introduction of those characters and just the way that they do it just you know the which one was it where he was just like uh squeaky pete and he's just like and like they're just doing like the 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 sound effects etc and then of course like charlie rumble who's like you know and all yeah that. that was great what was the one politician uh, uh sir jeffrey wilcox yeah <laughs> yeah that- <laughs> one i loved him too my other favorite thing about that was is it's when um uh it's when uh mr brown just goes be right back it turns off the light and starts yeah. right it's like we can still hear you yeah. 
You only just turned off the light. You didn't turn off the microphone. The microphone's on the left. It says microphone. <laughs> just every bit of that just started making me laugh more and more. Yeah, that was a great sequence. I mean, we should we should know that the fact that uh, Paul King did work on the Mighty Bush, which it is very infamous of being very creative when it comes to its uh, production design on, uh, on and especially being a bit more playful with his directing, especially with the very minimum budget he had. And yes, a lot of the jokes are very much that kind of comedy, the the very sort of smart ass, but kind of like obvious quotes and such, uh, which really that helped. And I love when, you know, when they actually have actual comedy writers doing comedy, you know, it's very, it's very good. It's very promising. Chris Hollywood, especially Marvel, do that. And big credits also want to give to the composer, uh, Dario Marianelli, which yeah, he really, he's a great composer in general. Uh, like he worked, he usually works in a very serious dramas like Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, Darkest Hour. I don't know why I'm only describing the films or that Joe Wright made, but yes, those are the kind of uh, films he usually goes for. And there is this sort of both playfulness, but also sort of when it becomes sad, it's you can feel that it's emotionally dreading. It's uh, it really gets you, and that is something that really helped in the end. Uh, but yeah, but again, it really felt for me this was a work of love from every department. Like it seems like everyone was enjoying this and they wanted to work on this and they put a, a lot of efforts and actual like care to it and i think that is the biggest the biggest uh thing i take out of it where whenever i watch it yeah i was going to mention the soundtrack as well because yeah i think it's interesting when you look at like the ones he's worked on he's also worked he did kubo and the two strings so i guess he's had a bit more like family animation kind of experience there but yeah like you said he's also done things like darkest hour uh Craig, he actually uh, worked on V for Vendetta's soundtrack. So like one that really stands out there is like the EV Reborn yeah. sort of like music, which kind of follows the same, you know, traditions that he uses. It kind of reminds me of a composer like Alexandra Desplat when you get something that's kind of very like so moody and grounded um, and feels kind of sophisticated, but in this kind of like fantastical so brighter setting, I think it kind of really makes you take it more serious, which I think, and it's so like, adds this kind of sophistication to it which i think is really nice so adds this extra depth and even to go back where we were talking about the performances and the characters i think it's like you said steph it goes back to the kind of mighty boosh aspect that it isn't just like oh this guy is the big guy this guy is uh this the skinny guy this you know they don't go with just typical tropes i think that you know you look at a character like spoon is it and that you know he's got that sort of like quirky voice and the glasses he's very much like it's as if they just told them like right do what you want and come up with this character and really like focus on it don't just play it as a kind of stereotype and you know i really liked fibs as well i think noah taylor uh he's like a favorite of mine i think he always really sort of like stands out in the roles he does he was in game of thrones when he played that kind of hunter of some kind uh which was like involved in the you know the night's watch story etc he always stands out to me and i think he did a good job here as well 
Um, and th- that was the kind of trio with uh, Knuckles, McGinty, and you know, you you very much get what he's all about very much from from the get go. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, Jamie, with like the the sandwich in the mouth, I think that was very much the style was coming through there. Just to cut to him with it there, and like the way he says marmalade, <laughs> you know, it was just like, how do you make this, etc. It was it was just great, and you know, I think the that entire you know cast of characters really really did shine through. I mean, when we mentioned earlier about um, Elizabeth II's death, and and uh, and yeah, I do agree with the sentiments. If you're gonna make sandwiches, don't just leave them on the ground. But anyways, uh, but I do love the fact that this was, I would imagine, mostly from children, and it is that it was a sentiment of care that they learned from Paddington. So that is something. Uh, I think that's the most notable legacy out of this film. Uh, I mean, obviously, we can talk ages about, I mean, that he kind of brought Hugh Grant into the spotlight for a lot of people. Uh, the fact that this this kind of gave a new high to how we should make friends, uh, to make uh, fantastical family films. Where we like, There's a lot of ways we can say all the stuff, but in the end, it is the fact that this is gonna be this is a learning point for for the younger generation for how they should treat people to what morals they should learn and what how they should act with other people with family friends and especially strangers and i think that is the biggest like lesson out of all and, and believe me i'm usually very cynical when it comes to real life stuff but the, but that's the beauty of paddington it's the is the fact that yeah, even the most cynical person will think a bit more positive about the world. So that is that. That's a credit. Um, don't worry, that will change soon. I'm, I'm gonna watch something that's gonna be extremely depressing, and I'm gonna change the whole aspect again. Yeah, no, and I think it's uh, a good point to make as well about how that's the kind of sort of pedestal to you know for other films to kind of like aim for in terms of like your family friendly films. And I think that you've seen then similar attempts, you know, we mentioned last time, like Peter Rabbit, which is just the complete opposite of like, you know, you've gone in this very obnoxious kind of like popular American almost approach, um, which like at the time I was just like, oh, of course, they've done this to everything, the Smurfs. But now, especially now how much we've bigged up Paddington, I'm like, it really is such a shame that Peter Rabbit again, which is this kind of quintessential literary kind of classic has been sort of tarnished in that way. And Paddington has, you know, done done so well. But even when you look at like this year, they tried to sort of make like the secret garden a thing again, the, you know, the railway children return and all this kind of thing. And none of it really kind of like, you know, flew off in the way the Paddington does. And I think it shows the importance of that creativity and having like the right director and the right sort of tone and approach. I think that 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 is really, you know, important in terms of like making something stand out and have its own style without just being kind of like, oh, well, let's just make it look like pretty or let's just kind of bring back something that people remember or was a classic book. But if it hasn't got anything so new or fresh to bring, you know, well, what's the point? I guess that's the advantage of Paddington is that he wasn't really on the big screen as much as as other properties have been in the past. As you guys have said that, you know, it it celebrates diversity very well. You know, it's very... You know, charming, um, but you know, not overly so. And I think that you know, to go back to the emotional side, as we said earlier, somebody like Imelda Staunton, I think, helps that. They bookend it very well by having like the kind of 
importance, as you said, Jamie, by like family members reminding you of like grandparents, etc. And I think that's what got me at the end is I was almost thrown by that bit in which the family don't turn up and Paddington feels alone and he's like, oh, well, maybe they will forget about me. And you have the, the music come in and and then uh, the rainforest or like grows around him, etc. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is the bit that people, you know, cry at and this is when it's supposed to get me. But because then that passed and then we had the whole thing in the, you know, with the train and stuff. I was like, no, you're not getting me. You know, I'm not being thrown by that one. But like Craig, then that end scene, especially because I just had this lump in my throat, like, oh, she's going to be there, isn't it? Like, you know, Aunt Lucy's going to be there. And, you know, it was, again, I, I found that obviously the whole community coming together was really sweet and how they had banded together. But just even just the whole like opening of the door and him hugging her and just the simplicity of ending the film on Happy Birthday, Aunt Lucy. I just love that again. It's just, yeah. you know, simple storytelling at its best and not ending it on a joke or anything stupid. But it's just, it's like a little short cartoon. It's just, you know, it ends like I'm trying to find this for my Aunt Lucy and you know ends with just happy birthday aunt lucy you could just imagine it in the book like that just the one line which i thought was beautiful okay so take your cassettes rewind them and play them again because it's vhs corner this week following up from last week set of uh last week last episode set of facts We've asked Jamie if he'd be willing to talk us through uh, some behind the scenes of this film. So take it away, Jamie. Okay, so there's just a, a few that I've got. So we talked about Michael Bond, the author of the Paddington books. So he died on the last day of filming uh, Paddington 2. So, you know, never got to see it. And then six months before the release of the film, at the age of 91, his last book about the title character was released in 2017. So still, you know, getting stuff out there, which was good going. Um, and uh, the Paddington books, does anyone have a guess at how many books they've sold like worldwide throughout his career? 60 million. 2 billion. <laughs> Five. Okay, you're you're all wrong. Uh, Thirty-five million copies. Um, okay, too high. <laughs> like that's half of the population of the UK. Um, anyone want to guess how fast a adult grizzly bear can run in uh, in miles per hour? I'm going to say thirty-six miles an hour. Quite specific. Is this the speed that you run up to the film in? You said earlier you had a run up to Paddington Two. So okay, you asked me what my what my approach was to it. Yeah. Yes, okay. I think that you could go about twenty eight miles per hour then. <laughs> okay, I've got long legs, very long. Um, definitely faster than me kilometers per hour. How many? How much? Just faster than me. <laughs> okay, so forty miles per hour, which is the same speed as a greyhound. Definitely faster than me. So I wasn't too far off. Then <laughs> the last one, back to being a bit more film related. Um, so in Hugh Grant films, when they're dubbed overseas, and obviously it'll be different actors playing the role. Steph, you'll know having seen quite a few of the different dubbings. So in France, has anyone got any idea what the French actor, very famous French actor who dubs Hugh Grant is in all of the Hugh Grant films? Anyone got any clues? No idea. No. Uh, Vincent Cassell. Ooh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So anytime uh, Hugh is dubbed in French, 
it kind of turned more from facts into a q a i'm sorry that's right yeah a different uh different direction with it but um and also the final fact is that uh, Hugh Grant's dad, when they watched the film in the cinema, he asked, how did they get the bear to do that? Yeah. Which is a real bear. Well, so he will be shocked after the BBC news that he was not really there. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing the, you know, the sort of tribute to Michael Bond at the end, and I thought, oh, that's sad. And, and again, it's a weird coincidence with... I think I was reading an article, uh, I think I did actually screenshot it, which was kind of like relevant, I suppose, to uh, what we're talking about in terms of the Queen, etc. is that I think um, his daughter uh, said, you know, Paddington brings people together and brings out the best in people. That's a quote from one of the books. I certainly think um, he did that uh, with the Queen. I think she was talking there about the sketch. Um, but obviously this film very much embraces that. Um, and then... So she's still talking about the sketch, uh, but and Panton with the Queen said, said he gave her the opportunity to show that side of her that was so special, brought uh, people closer to her. Uh, that's why so many people are leaving these tributes, this wonderful, uplifting memory of her. Uh, but she said when talking about her dad, uh, she was saying he would have been overwhelmed by the sort of popularity. Uh, I certainly am. He wasn't a royalist, but he had this close association with the Queen. He was an admirer of the Queen. And I think she, he was actually at the coronation because he was working at, with, at the BBC at the time and he was like sort of taking photos of filming, etc. And I think that that's quite interesting that that's very much the mood of a lot of people and grandparents at the moment, people who aren't like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I don't care about the, you know, the monarchy, the ro- I'm not a royalist, but people just have a, an admiration for the lady herself, etc. And I think that you mentioned his last book, Jamie. Uh, 2017, so yeah, yeah in eight. And wasn't it like so, about St. Paul's or like one of the big landmarks, one of the churches or something like that? And I think that right. he had gone there for an occasion with the Queen. So it was like something she was like opening or like making a speech or something. And he had been invited there for that. And that's when he thought, oh, my next book will be about this. So it's again, that kind of weird timing of like his associations with the Queen, his interactions with her, Paddington being brought into all of that. Yeah, I think that... It's mad that he he passed away like as they finished filming as well. So to lastly round up uh, our discussion of legacy um, of Paddington 2, we now go to the movie vault and ask, does Paddington 2 deserve to be remembered for all time and gain the honour of a place in our movie vault? Uh, Stefano says you didn't join us with uh, Paddington 1, which did make it into the movie vault. I'll ask you, do you think that that was the right choice? And do you think the Paddington 2 deserves to go in? Yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I think we've all kind of said our valid points, which basically were all the same about this film. Um, And yeah, and if anything else, the fairest... It's generally speaking a more like a very new film. Uh, it was as it was like back in twenty. Oh my gosh, it's been five years. <laughs> I just realized it's been half a decade already. Um, <laughs> yeah, an uh, interesting take to go for new film, but yeah, fair enough. Technically, I mean, technically, yes, uh, it's not not even ten years old yet. But the fact that even back then, when, he, when the film came out, there was already a quite big following and a big conversation about it and that has just expanded ever since and even the fact that the americans care about it which i never thought and the american audience would actually love this sort of smaller 
family friendly film like Paddington. So yeah, just for that, uh, huge praise. And yeah, absolutely in the mainly because if I say no, I very certain I'm gonna regret it. So yeah. Yeah. And as you said earlier, you know, again, like the, the cynic in you was, you know, turned around on it. Uh, Jamie, what, what's your thoughts? 100% put it in there. I think that's the vibe of this chat. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just, it's perfect for it. Also, just waiting for the Criterion version. <laughs> now that you've got Wally uh, from Pixar. Yeah, maybe they'll have like the beer, like, you know, a toy beer, like they've kind of constructed Wally and uh, Eva, like out of trash or something in that in that cover maybe that's what the patent and two one will be like uh we talked earlier as well about the rotten tomato score and i think i do remember this controversy at the time so craig it has gone down from 100 percent. it's 99 percent because i think they found some other ones and uh they're gonna make make craig mad i think and this is to go against what you know steph was saying and this is why you shouldn't be you know this person shouldn't be a qualified reviewer in terms of reading one of the negative the rotten scores which has brought it down to 99 percent this man has put, as a man who is dead inside, I couldn't fully buy into the world of Paddington, but I watched with my son and he did enjoy it, which is something, just not for me. That's not how review That's not works. objectivism. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely a, a good example. I remember people did, we years ago, I think the same thing happened to Toy Story 3 in which people were like, you're clearly just ragging on this film to kind of get more clicks, uh, which is quite, you know, a popular thing. Uh, to do um apparently this other person uh i think is a similar thing they they said that they originally said that they they didn't think it was all that charming uh but which he originally said when it came out in 2017 but yeah not 100 percent anymore because of uh, people like that uh, craig your response and your thoughts on the movie world yeah they can burn in hell um <laughs> I think it's only fair that I use the same criteria that I used to put uh, Paddington into the movie vault here, which is, would I want my kids to see this? Yes. And I think there's more, there's more grounds on which I want them to see. Because I think the other thing to consider now, which makes this an even easier sell than the original Paddington, was there's obviously such a big thing about what do you want a sequel to be? What should a sequel do? And I think we all agree that in terms of actually taking the good elements of Paddington and building upon them uh, in a really compelling way, this film is a great example of doing that. So given how many kids' films get sequels and just turn out utter shit, I want them to take notice of this film of you can have a good balance of meant for kids and also still meaningful, engaging, uh, clever and and just fun. Uh, so yeah, it absolutely has to go in. Yeah. And I think while you could look at the movie vault and there's a lot of things like, you know, Star Wars, Muppets, Disney, etc. I think, again, that, you know, there is then obviously a lot of, you know, horror or random, you know, British films, etc. And I think that this does, you know, represent well those kind of, as you said, well-made children's family films, which everyone can love. The themes are great, really blends together what we were saying about, you know, respecting and appreciating the technical aspects but also the story and, you know, simply for me as well is just that that storybook element is just that book ending of, of the story, which I think is beautiful. Um, and everything we've said before, like the score and the production design, etc. So, yeah, no surprise. But into the movie vault goes Paddington 2 from 2017. Do you agree? Are you that man from Rotten Tomatoes who gives the <laughs> negative review? Uh, and let us know uh, what you would like us to discuss to go into the movie vault 
in the future. But for now, we round things up with our ever fun film related challenge. Over to Craig. We're in the end game now. Okay, end game time. This game is simply called Exit Pursued by a Bear. So obviously last time we looked at the legacy of sequels, this time I think we actually just dive into uh, the true legacy of what Paddington is, which is just a famous bear. Um, So that's what I wanted to do in this game. I've taken various bears from various films uh, and also people who turn into bears in various films and I'm just going to give you their names and I want you, Quickfire, to tell me the name of that film. So, the way we'll do this is your buzzer is going to be your very own bear growl. Oh, God. Yeah. Why? Okay, so, Steph, <laughs> let's hear your bear growl buzzer. Mm, give me a sec. I haven't done voice acting for a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> impressive, impressive. That's pretty yeah. good, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Jamie? <laughs> very different as well that's good specific I mean, specific i mean we have one that sounded a bit like a moose the other one a bit like a dog so i think it's fine yeah the, uh, your intern is going to stop playing up i think if he can hear you but as always we need to look at what it is that we're going to be playing for so going into next uh next episode we'll be going into next month which is october and that's where we want to introduce uh an entire month of halloweeny based uh episodes So all of the films that will be potentially suggested today, so uh, if the guests win, they have a choice of any of the films that will be hinted at towards hand, uh, beforehand, and they will all have some spooky theme related to them. So let's start with David. Let's hear the hints for your film. Uh, So I've kind of gone with the idea that obviously this is a family film. I was very tempted to just go in the complete other direction, just to go from something charming like Paddington to something then just completely like scarring or something. But I was like, no, we don't want to go that drastic. But I think when we're talking about kind of things that do scar young kids, it's probably one of the most horror, you know, one of the most scary and like disturbing and well-known children's animated films for just the way that it depicts what's usually quite a sort of quaint and cuddly kind of world uh it was in 1978 that this film came out and also had a very uh important british icon within acting which was john hurt so that is my suggestion uh from yeah 1978 excellent so now to hear jamie what would you potentially put forward uh, I'd go for a Hugh Grant uh, comedy horror from Ken Russell, and the year is uh, 1988. Interesting. Steph? I went through a connection of Bread and Gleason. It is... Um, I'm really trying not to spoil this. Mm-hmm. Everything I say about this it will be you recognised. Uh, it definitely is on the year 2002... It was a very small film, but it became a huge hit, and it sort of uh, recreated not just one, but two genres. Interesting. And finally, to wrap it up, uh, you could have any one of those films, or you could have my film from 1993. Again, this is a family-themed horror-esque film, very much uh, diving straight into the theme of Halloween. Um, but lots of uh, loud 
uh, loud brash characters, some really interesting music, and also very much like Paddington, uh, a very cute, helpful animated sidekick for our live action cast. Okay, so those are the films we could be playing for now to play the game. David, would you be able to keep score for us, please? Okay, so in some cases, I will have uh, removed the word bear from the character's name. So obviously you can just logically assume that for some of these bear is going to be in there. Um, but if you think you know the answer, just growl. I'll say who growled first and we'll get your answer. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. The first bear. Boo-boo. Jamie. Yogi Bear? I, I don't... So I'll I'll be I'll be nice. I don't need a specific film in some cases. I just need like a franchise. So uh, okay, so long okay. as you just say Yogi Bear, you are correct. Number two, Norm. Rar. Steph. Norm of the North. Norm of the North. A very very bad animated film about a polar bear. I, I, you're lucky I remember the title because I've really tried to like, really like sink it into my subconscious, like completely disappear. You just brought all the drama back. <laughs> I mean, I have to go through that for a daily basis. So welcome to my world. Number three, Baloo. Rawr. Ooh. Mm. David? I think Steph was just... I thought it was slightly Jamie, oh. so... We could say at the same time and get a draw. Yeah. I'm happy for yeah. that. So so on yeah. the count of three, say what the film is. Three, two, one. Jungle Book. Yeah. So that's a I point. Mean, we could say we could say I uh, I say the animated one uh, and Jamie says the live action. Yeah, sure, oh, we'll right. go. That that seems yeah. like a there we go. Yeah. Mowgli. What I should also <laughs> what I should also point out is that some films may appear twice. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Number four. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> Fozzy. Rawr. Je- Muppets. Je- yeah, it's it's Fozzy Bear, the comedian. Mm-hmm. Waka waka. Number five. Eleanor. Rawr. Steph. I don't remember if that's her actual name. Is it Brave? It is indeed Queen Eleanor who turns into okay. a bear in. In uh, in Brave. Excellent. Number six. Kevin. You know, you should put the the music from Countdown right now. I I could, but unfortunately David hasn't mastered the soundboard yet to do that. I'll give a small hint. I will accept I will accept either name that this film has, because it has a different name depending on if it's released in the US or internationally. Oh, okay. Uh, final hint he is a polar bear five four three two one it's zootopia okay so the uh the mafia possum uh it's the largest of his bodyguards it's a it's a very that was a tricky one (laughs) it was tricky so I think that leads us nicely into number seven, Ted. Wow. That was wow. definitely Jamie. Damn it. Uh, Ted, one and two. Yep. I wasn't going to trick you out with sequel for that one. Yeah. 
Okay, number eight. Archie. Hmm. It does ring a bell. Why, why I mean, so is this. Why? That's the sound you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a small hint. This is a sequel film. Sequel? Yeah. But so that means the bear was not... Not in oh, the first wait. one. Oh, is it uh, RAR? Steph? Is it Dr. Doolittle 2? It is indeed Dr. Doolittle 2. It is the focal bear of the film. However, because I, get, uh, because I gave a, a hint for that, that's only going to be half a mark. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Number beer nine. Beer enough. <laughs> and I apologize for pronunciation for this, but can I? Rawr. Steph? Brother Bear. Brother Bear. It is the, it is the person who is turned into a bear. And he becomes a brother. <laughs> that happens a lot in Disney <laughs> films, doesn't it? <laughs> Next up, we have Little John. Rawr. Oh, rawr. That was definitely Seth. Okay, can I just say the, the name of the protagonist? Because I, I know there's a like, larger, larger title, but I just don't remember the whole thing. I mean, it, um, it probably falls within franchise rules, yeah. so what is it? Yeah, uh, Robin Hood. Yep, from that from that really long uh, winded title, Robin Hood. <laughs> uh, is it okay? Because because uh, I know it's the it's just the titles... it's just the Disney version, which is just called uh, Robin Hood. Okay, it's okay, not okay, like okay. it's not like uh, Prince of Thieves no. or uh, or Men in Tights or anything. If it like was that. probably made today, it would just be called Hood or something. <laughs> Especially considering he's Little John, like Little Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are we ready for number eleven? Oxana. Hmm. Rawr. Jamie? Uh, this is a total pun. Uh, his Dark Materials. It is not His Dark Materials. Though that is a TV show, so if you do recommend that film, I think think of that next time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did contemplate having uh, TV beers in here as well to have uh, characters like Gentle Ben. <laughs> Could you repeat the show from the, uh, the film, His Dark Materials, Golden Compass? I guess that is the yeah. franchise, though, so yeah, either way. Exactly, yeah. So, so um, well, okay, the name well, is the name again? Oksana. Oksana, Oksana. Um, it's like that song, Oksana, Oksana. <laughs> I'm going to do a countdown for this. Five, four, three, two, one. The answer is Borat. It is a bear that... (laughs) It's a bear that appears in his home country. It's named after his ex-wife, apparently. Yeah, I remember the stupid joke. Okay. Are we ready for number number 12? Mordu. Mordu. Mm. I that Mordu. I've got to change the fate of this episode. I'm going to give a hint. It is a oh. film. Yeah, Jamie. I don't know what was the hint going to be? I think. No. So who just who just growled? Jamie. Yeah. Jamie. So. 
I was going to, but then you were about to say a hint. I'll say like, the oh, all right. I'll say the I'll say the hint, and then and I'll let you answer. Jamie, Jamie first. You'll both get the hint. Okay. okay it is okay. a film oh. that's already been said, so you've got like a one in ten. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say brave. But yeah, that's what we're gonna say as well. It is. It is brave. It is the evil beer. As you were probably gonna say that before the hint anyway. Yeah. I think that's still fair to give the full point for that one. Okay. Number thirteen. Poe. Is that Poe? Poe, yeah. Not okay. oh, bro. Jamie? Bro. Bro. Uh, Kung Fu Panda? Kung Fu yeah. Panda. Master Poe Ping, the uh, the dragon warrior. Nah. I love how crazy people just look up. Like, bro, 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 bro. Honestly, what? I was awful at this game last time. I got so confused because we had to say our name before. Yeah. And I kept <laughs> it wrong. It's just one sound this time. <laughs> <laughs> so you were going to have a clarification, Steph? No, no, it's because I thought he said Poe, but I was need to confirm because I thought you might have said Poo. Yeah. Oh, I, I see, like, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's Poe like the Teletubby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tomato, That's tomato, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Poe. <laughs> okay. Um. Also, fun fact, Winnie the Pooh, not included in this game in any capacity. <laughs> it's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Although I, I will tell you who is included, our next entry, Tenderheart. Um, I think I know what it is. I just don't, I don't know the name of the thing. Uh, uh, Rar? Steph? Bear care? <laughs> it is not bear care. <laughs> oh, Rar, 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 Rar. No, no, no. You've lost your chance for the turn. Uh, Jamie, would you like to buzz in? Would you like to buzz in, Jamie? I'm going to... Rawr. Jamie? I was going to say the Care Bears. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that has to be half a but point, though, sure. Is... I'm giving a full point to Jamie, half a point to Steph. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm, I'm okay to, to share, like, half points, and I got a mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I already, I've already, bad. I've already made my judgments. Whether David puts it in the schools, yeah, yeah. So it's oh, a okay. full point and a half point. Okay. <laughs> bear <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a hospital for bears. I love it. <laughs> oh, in line with like animal hospital, <laughs> 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 just loads of bears on stretches, <laughs> like. Da, 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 da. Okay, we've now come to the last bear on our list. So the final bear you have to identify is Coda. Roar. Uh, oh, I know it. Why do I know it? Um, oh, I'm gonna say Grizzly Man. Is it Grizzly Man? <coughs> Steph, you look like you were about to growl. Uh, yeah, rar. Uh, it's 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 the little annoying crab thingy from uh, brother brother bear. It is indeed the uh, the cub from brother bear, the uh, the bear who gains a brother. If Steph were in charge of naming films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that brings us to the end of the game. So, so David, who has won? Well, is it the end because it's seven all? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to tell you 
part of a title that has a has a bear character. And I just want you to tell me who the bear character is. Okay, so it's a bit of a role reversal. Are you ready? Right. And so the same system, just let me get the buzzer back out. So the part of the film is called Blood and Honey. Wow. Jamie. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. It is oh, Winnie yeah. the Pooh. Yes, an excellent linking to the end, the end because it is an upcoming horror film, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yeah, he's now in the public domain, of course. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the trailer has been recently released within the last two weeks or so. Yeah. So with that, the winner of the end game is Jamie. Congratulations. Well done, Jamie. Yeah, first defeat. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Really? First defeat for Stefanos. Oh, damn. Wait, n- yeah. not quite. Well, maybe Endgame. after a string of wins, I think, anyway. Endgame specials, let's not forget. Yeah, so congratulations, Jamie. So now you have you have the choice of four films. So you can go with any of the suggestions from any of us, or, of course, you can go with the film that you would like us to look at. So what would you like us to discuss in the next episode? I feel that because Bear Care just gave me a step up, <laughs> I'm going to go with Steph. Uh, option okay so you're going to go with steph's option so steph give us a little bit of build-up and then tell us what we're discussing in the next episode so like i said the connection uh, especially to make it halloween themed is a film uh, that Brendan gleason was in uh he was playing supporting role to a, a 2002 film that it is a horror film but really uh, subverted the genre of digital era. Basically, it was one of the first films ever to be fully shot in uh, digital cameras. And two of the Joby genre, and uh, that is uh, direct, that was directed by Danny Boyle, and it's Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh... Twenty Eight Days Later. An excellent choice to kick off our Halloweeny month. Yeah, so uh, yeah, going down, which I'm not sure if we've gone down the whole sort of zombie route, I guess. No, but, we, we haven't for probably obvious reasons. For me, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so awesome. So thank you for that suggestion, Stefanos and uh, Jamie, for uh, giving the suggestion over to Stefanos after your win. So yeah, 28 Days Later from 2002 is what we'll be discussing next time. If you want to watch that film, and it's very weird to say this, you can check it out on Disney Plus <laughs> at the moment uh, as a part of your subscription. Or, of course, you can uh, go rent it from any of the sort of rental services. Uh, or, of course, as we've mentioned at the top of the episode as well, it is available on uh, physical media as well. So uh, go check it out if you want to join in the conversation with us and uh, find out our thoughts and uh, join in this fun uh, chain of movies that we have of late. So yeah, next time, starting off our Halloween month, which uh, we are sort of calling our Halloween Horror Month, I guess. Uh, So yeah, thank you guys for joining us, talking about Paddington 2 very much yet. Like kind of what I was originally thinking for my suggestion, we're going very opposite to Paddington 2 with 28 Days Later. Um, So very drastically different there. Uh, Stefanos, uh, anything to sort of, end on anything that you're up to any projects or uh, where the people can catch you on social media uh, yeah you can find me on twitter at stefan things uh 
mainly I retweet a lot of stuff. Basically, you can tell my whole personality just for the retweets I do. Um, and as I said earlier on the recording, I am planning to revisit the BFI London Film Festival this October. So far, I have 22 films booked. I know myself. I know I'm going to really, really go all the way in. And most likely, I'm going to add another five films. Uh, I'm hoping a lot of good things. This time around, I'm not going to put that much effort on catching up with famous, famous celebrities or filmmakers. But I think this time around, I'm just going to like relax and enjoy the films. Um, and and I also be, I do think I've been desensitized quite a lot. I think after I've seen two different films next to Edgar Wright, I think I'm okay. Uh, so yeah, and as for anything else, um, I am actually working something of my own. Um, I'm working on a script for a while now. And yeah, you know, one of the things, one of the things about creatives, uh, we just keep going and going until we actually hit the jackpot uh, through our own creativity. Um, but we'll see. And also, I am actually looking forward for Wonka. I didn't care at all before until Paul King was brought into directing it. Um, and that is the only reason I am going to watch it. I thought the exact same thing when I was looking at Paul King for the last episode. So yeah, very, very excited for that. And uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff I'm sure to come uh, with all the festivals, etc., which are going to be starting up soon. Uh, Jamie, what about yourself? Where can the people find you? What have you got coming up? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Jamie Milligan, on Instagram at MillieSnap. And on Letterboxd, because I'd like more Letterboxd friends, is uh, at Jamie Milligan. So not very inventive with my names. Um, and then, yeah, just writing and just trying to get stuff off the ground, really. It's, um, yeah, just lots of ideas, really, at the moment. Earlier, I was coming back from work and on the radio, they were talking about when they have like writers retreats for song makers for like people who sing and stuff like that. And I was just like, we need this for like film or something from what you two guys have just said. It's like where creatives get together. I don't know, maybe with film and TV, it's been more of an isolated experience. You wouldn't collaborate as much, but still, it's a nice chance to go away and, you know, the the hills or, you know, go to a nice holiday retreat for a while and uh, get your head down, get some uh, the creative juices flowing. But uh, yeah, it's uh, awesome to have so many of our guests, you know, involved in that creative process um as well i know that uh and hopefully we get to see some of these projects very soon for ourselves as well you mentioned letterbox i don't think it's been mentioned yet but recently well good movies has set up um a letterbox so yeah joy uh follow jamie uh follow us as well i know stefanos as well you're on there um especially because if you want to actually get an up-to-date version of the movie vault list uh well good movies has two lists on there one is covering all the films that we've talked about specifically or reviewed um so films that might have not gone into the vault or films that were so like talked about uh, like in an episode of like three films etc uh, and you can just see the movie vault list on there as well so a very good chance to see all of that so yeah we've got some exciting projects on the way now as we uh, enter our last segment of the year now uh, we've got our halloween horror month now is upcoming 
uh, which will now start with 28 Days Later. And yeah, that entire month is dedicated to Halloween. Lots of fun, creepy stuff coming up there. Uh, lots of like antics. Our end games are always fun. The film discussions and lots of fantastic guests we got coming up there as well. So uh, keep appealed for that. And please do, yes, follow us. Uh, like everything on social media. It's all much appreciated. Craig, anything lastly from yourself? I know we got one or two other announcements to tease. Yeah, so no jokes from me this time, just a couple of announcements. One, personal life. So for those of you who uh, don't really pay attention to the podcast, I'm a debater. And on the weekend of the uh, 23rd and 24th of September, I will be running a pop culture themed tournament. So if you enjoy my opinions on on films, TV, whenever it comes up, you get to see what kind of topics I get to set people uh, in the Pop Culture Grand Prix 2. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm hoping to get some incredibly uh, cursed ideas past uh, my fellow uh, chief adjudicators. Also, just in terms of the podcast, uh, keep a lookout for more updates on this. But we are currently planning and producing uh, the next Endgame special. So coming off of the heels of our success, uh, last successful series, which ended in a climactic champ- uh, Champions Cut uh, edition. Uh, we're looking to get some more Endgame specials off the ground again, and we'll be looking to do one before the end of the year. So once we have more information, we'll feed that out to you. Uh, gently and surely like a good marketing team would do lots more fun buzzers to come i'm sure (laughs) oh yeah i'm gonna find absolutely weird things for people to do (laughs) i think jamie's probably been through like him and reese maybe this year have gone through i think he had to do like a suggestive noise for that innuendo one and then also say his name i think jamie's up there with having to do the weird kind of like a beer growl and his name you know it's very weird (laughs) yeah please please don't uh use that as a reason to discourage coming on again in future (laughs) (laughs) you just gotta see what comes up next time isn't it (laughs) it'll be both you have to say your name in beer (laughs) so uh yeah well thank you uh stavados and jamie for joining us Uh, it's been fantastic talking about paddington 2 and yes we hope to have you uh both come back in the future and uh, for everyone at home as well make sure you go check out 28 days later as i mentioned on disney plus you can rent it uh, buy it and uh, join in our fun conversation so thank you once again everyone and we'll catch you for halloween <laughs> bye-bye bye roar roar <laughs> see you soon Roar-ar. bye bye <laughs> Keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.